either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You're sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Welcome as we start the second half of the movie year into July now. We'll check out the latest. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com, and we'll start back in the Marvel Universe. Thor enlists the help of Valkyrie, Korg, and ex-girlfriend Jane Foster to fight Gore the God Butcher, who intends to make the gods extinct. This is Thor Love and Thunder. The only ones who gods care about themselves so this is my vow all gods will die I just want to say that was very very impressive what you did back there it's just my first bad guy you never forget your first The other gods have killed. Because I have something worth fighting for. All right, well, first off, we, we had two different sets of expectations for this movie. Because if you didn't know, this one was written, well, co-written and directed by Taika Watiti, who also did Thor Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. And a lot, of pe- a lot of people have a lot of love for Thor Ragnarok, including you. Indeed. I don't. Um, and I have found over the years that I just don't have that Watiti funny bone. Yeah, I think I, I think he's very clever. Mm-hmm. I just don't find him as funny as everybody else does, and that's fine. I'm not saying you're wrong and I'm oh, of right. Course. It just doesn't hit me. Yeah, so I, I really wasn't expecting to like this movie very much, and I didn't. But you really didn't either. No, and I'm a Watiti fan from way back. Years ago, he made a movie called Eagle vs. Shark, right. starring Jemaine Clement. Yeah, I and I've that, been yeah. all on board ever since then. And of course, What We Do in the Shadows and Jojo Rabbit, of course. And yeah, I loved... I did. Now, I did like Jojo sure. Rabbit, just not as much as you did. Right. Uh, I just I just, I find him very clever, and that's all. A little bit empty for me, but still. But Ragnarok, I, I thought was great. I thought it yeah. was so different from anything else in the Marvel Universe. It was... Th- it had just this irreverent sense of humor it did. that I really enjoyed. I thought the whole thing was hilarious. Also, however, it had Tom Hiddleston, right? Loki, maybe the best villain in He's the Marvel great. Universe, yeah. right? And Kate yeah. Blanchett oh, as yeah. the goddess of death. I yeah. mean, Fantastic. that was unbelievably great. Now, yeah. here's, I think, we both know one of the biggest problems that this movie has, that this, the uh, Love and Thunder has, is that it just doesn't have any real stakes. No, I, I found it just to be a mess, uh, boring, one of the worst superhero movies I, I've seen, in the, certainly in the Marvel Universe for me. Um, it just it was a just a cl- constant clash of tone. It, it still wanted to be a comedy, and, and Ragnarok was a full-on comedy. I get that. And I did laugh in spots. It, it's much funnier than this is. Um, and also you've got these, these just differing tones of Christian Bale playing Gore the God Butcher, who, as, as you have rightly pointed out since we've seen this movie, seems like he's in a different film. He does. And and that clashes up against the silly humor. And then you bring Jane Foster back, uh, of course, the ex-girlfriend, played again by Natalie Portman. This time she's been working out you know, to play a superhero. And when she becomes Thor, she's taller. They, they, they do camera tricks to make her look taller, too, which is pretty cool. And she's got a dramatic angle arc to her 
character as well that clashes up against it all. And I just, for me, just zero of it worked. And also the whole thing is really set as Korg, the big stone guy voiced by Watiti, is telling the story of Thor to a bunch of kids. And that sets the film up as sort of a Saturday morning type of show. And he follows suit in some of his direction with the look of it. I mean, some early on, we looked at each other with some of these props and went, boy, that looks like something you'd get at Target. Yeah. And and same way with some of the costumes. Oh, it looks yeah. like that's where they were going. Okay, I get that, but only some of the time. And yeah. it just was a, a clash, just a mess of styles that, for me, did not work at all. Yeah, not a lot of it landed. There are a couple of funny bits because Thor's hammer reconstitutes itself to let Jane Foster become Thor. Right. So, right. So she gets the hammer and now Thor, Thor, his axe is a little jealous. Stormbreaker. Right. Stormbreaker is yeah. a little jealous. And, and there, are some, there are some yeah. funny moments with that. There really are. Uh, but I just, I, I definitely did not think the humor landed particularly, but for me, and, and you're right, it's just a, a clash of styles all over the place. It's a, it's a big old sloppy mess, but I just couldn't get past that. You know, who cares if he kills all the gods? Like, even the movie didn't seem to care if he killed all the gods. Even the movie didn't have a a very good reason not to kill all the gods. <laughs> yeah, it so, just really didn't. And so, so the you, stakes, yeah, the yeah, stakes aren't nothing. there. And then, speaking of gods, they bring in Russell Crowe in this cameo as Zeus, which gets silly for silly's sake. Very silly. Okay. Mm. Uh, and then early on, you've got the Guardians of the Galaxy. That sets the whole thing up just to give them a an extension, a, a, a connection to the rest of the universe, I suppose. That's a little funny. You've seen this. Not the very uh, much. You've seen the clip in the trailer where he says, where um, Chris Pratt says, you know, look at the ones you love, and Thor kind of sticks his face in there. That's kind of funny. Again, for me, it's always just, oh, ha, 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 I'm just yeah. about clever. And it just all of it, most of it, uh, just falls flat this time. I guess I, even though I didn't really love or or like that much Ragnarok, I understand why other people do. Yeah. This one though, I just I just don't get. I I'm I'm afraid a lot of people may even even the fans might be disappointed in this because I just think again I just think it's a mess. I think fans aren't gonna hate it. It's not that long for a Marvel movie. It's yeah. not like you're there for two and a half hours. Right. It just doesn't do very much with the time that it has. Yeah. And you, you know I I we, today on TV. We brought up that even the action to me, the act, some of the action sequences in Ragnarok were spectacular, spectacular. And I didn't think there were any particularly interesting action sequences even in this one. And even the extra scenes. Yes. Uh, normally, you, you we're now we're kind of uh, programmed to expect one for fun and one for continuing on whatever is coming next. And even those, I thought, just were, totally were, agree. were wanting. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, all in all, a big disappointment for both of us. And that's a little surprising. I, I really wasn't expecting to like this very much. I was. Uh, yeah. And, and the fact that you didn't, that uh, says something there. And that is Thor Love and Thunder out in all the multiplexes and everywhere this weekend. Let's go to Netflix next for an animated family adventure. When a young girl stows away on the ship of a legendary sea monster hunter, they launch on an epic journey into uncharted waters and make history to boot. It's called The Sea Beast. Them pictures of me books come to life. It's where it's out there in the vast unknown. That we find who we truly are. Don't worry. 
If there's one of them things within a mile of us, I'll sense it. Maybe a little off my game here. Well, as I said, this one is on Netflix, and right away, the first impression is that's kind of a shame. It really is. It's so gorgeous. I really wished I had gotten to see it on a big screen, and and boy, if, the, if I was a kid, right? I yeah. mean, it's it's just gorgeous. Um, and it's a it's a little bit too long, but it's a fun adventure, and I appreciated so much of what they did. So there's Maisie, a little girl, mm-hmm. little orphan. All she wants to do is to join the monster hunters, the sea monster hunters that she reads about in her books in the orphanage, and so she stows away. And the adventure that they go on, of course, the would-be captain, not the current captain, but the future captain is trying to get rid of her. And, of course, they become frenemies. And one of the things that's really interesting about this movie is how it just addresses things kind of head-on that people are maybe not going to like, and I hope that they do. For example, uh, about half of the crew is female. And they're of all different races and nationalities and colors. And one of the things that the that the film points out, that Maisie points out, is how history tells us things and we believe it, but it's not really true. Mm-hmm. And so I think there are a lot of people who are going to look at this and go, well, come on, you got all these women on it, but, but you're okay with sea monsters. <laughs> but one of the things that I think that made me think of is how all of us accepted Westerns. We oh, all yeah. accepted Westerns right. and that cowboys were white. Mm-hmm. and that. But the, the fact of the matter is the majority of actual cowboys in the 1800s were not white. Yeah. The majority of them were not white. That if was you watch the... a John Ford film, you're not going to see one face that isn't white unless it's a bad guy. That was one of the main points made by The Harder They Fall yeah. uh, recently, which is a really, really enjoyable film. Uh, and good points to make. And yeah, we should say the uh, Maisie is voiced by Zaris Angel Hattor. And uh, and it's full of the the cast has some uh, some great voice talent Carl Urban Dan, Dan Stevens Jared Harris uh, Marion Jean Baptiste who's She's great. great yeah so the, the I guess the most disappointing thing about this is you can't see it on a big screen yeah I mean the adventure is so much fun it will remind you I think at times of How to Train Your Dragon it's got yeah. that kind of an idea yeah. of like why do we feel like we have to kill these why do we feel like and, we and, have to eliminate them right, from the and planet hunters hunters that change their tune about hunting what they're hunting yes yeah that's very reminiscent of How to Train Your Dragon but you know that's a, a great franchise to try to emulate. Yes, it is. Um, the uh, director is Chris Williams. The writer is Neil Benjamin and also Chris Williams. So he co co uh, writes as well. But yeah, this is a good one for the family. If you're hanging in uh, this weekend on Netflix, uh, you can find it. And uh, it's definitely one to, to check out. Very, very enjoyable as an adventure, right? Yes, as a comedy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The and- action is great. You know, it's scary, but it's not too scary. It's just scary enough. The The monsters are scary, but but not too scary, just scary yeah. enough. And it, and it, you know, it clips along and and you're right. The performances are great. It's just, it's well-written, smart, and it looks great. Yeah. And it's rated PG, by the way, on Netflix, The Sea Beast. Let's go back to theaters, select theaters for a fascinating film. Amidst a worldwide pandemic that causes sudden amnesia, middle-aged heiress finds himself enrolled in a recovery program designed to help unclaimed patients build new identities. This is called Apples. <laughs> Και ταξιδεύαμε όλοι μαζί σε ένα μεγάλο καράβι. Παλιό καράβι. Ναι, και μετά. Μετά το καράβι βούλιαξε και πνίγηκαν όλοι. Τραγική ιστορία. Ναι. This is one we were excited about because it's the filmmaker Christos Nikou, and he is kind of a protege. He has worked with 
Yorgos Lanthimos, yeah. a favorite of ours, especially yours. Yeah, they're a countryman from Greece. And uh, Christos, his first big credit, I think, was a second unit director on Dogtooth. Which we love. And even if you didn't know that, you'd watch this movie and think that, boy, it has that Lanthimos sort of look about it. There's, there's many things about the, films that will, will, about the film that will remind you of Lanthimos. So it, it sort of uh, is understandable there. But... Niku is trying to do his own vision, and he does. He takes things in a little bit of different direction and approaches them a little bit differently. But it's a fascinating story. He uh, co-writes as well as direct. And it's set in a world that looks very much like present day, except that it's very, very quiet and very, very slow paced. And there's no digital technology, which uh, becomes important. And this pandemic hits. But it's, yeah, like the synopsis says there, it's of uh, amnesia is what the pandemic is. And and uh, Eris, it hits him on a city bus one day. And when they're not claimed, if they can't find any family and nobody claims them, then again, as the synopsis said, they're put in this program that helps them gain entirely new identities. And their doctors give them a Polaroid, yep, no digital tech, a Polaroid camera to go out and document these tasks. They have a list they have to complete these tasks and get out in the world and do certain things and get Polaroid proof and then put them on separate pages of uh, an album. And then, of course, Eris comes in contact with other people who are doing the same thing. So it just moves along. It, it is it is fascinating, very deliberate in its manner. It's very well constructed, both visually and orally, for the, the world that he's building. And on a surface level... The message about disassociation in this digital age, that's pretty easy to to get. But then as it goes a little farther along, it what it really is after is memory and how much of who we are is made up of our memories. And not only that, but how far might we be willing to go to distance ourselves from memories of trauma or memories of pain? That's what the film is really interested in as it gets closer and closer to its conclusion. It separates itself from, you know, it's kind of unfair to to compare him to Lanthimos sure. because, God, Lanthimos is so good. Yes. And he's so good at his style, what yes. he does, his insightful irony. Mm -hmm. And this is funny, too, in a different way. This, this, this is more dour. It's more awkward in its comedy, but it does have some very awkwardly funny moments. So just a little different brand of humor than Lanthimos. And he's also, Naku here is interested in more of a, more of a tidy wrap-up at the end. Which is, I, I I probably prefer Lanthimos myself, but sure. a lot of people won't. A lot of people right. will appreciate that because at the very beginning of the film, you see this man and hear this man just slowly and deliberately hitting his head against a wall. And you don't find out for about 90 minutes why. You do find out why, and so some people appreciate that. But even though it wraps it up in a little bit of a tidy manner, it certainly didn't spoil it for me. I think it's a very fascinating film. And a real marker of a new filmmaker who we want to watch in the future. Absolutely. Because uh, this is a really, really great debut. Just just really fascinating as it unfolds. And it's in select theaters now, and it's called Apples. Let's go back to VOD for a documentary. The end of a long upmarket renovation of the legendary Chelsea Hotel is partly longed for and partly dreaded by the artists who still live there. The film grants us access to their apartments and interweaves the past with the present. This is called Dreaming Walls Inside the Chelsea Hotel. So all the immortals of the 20th century at one time or another stayed at the Chelsea. There are people here who really are the remnants of another time in New York. This is where I lived for 16 years. 
They tried to move all the residents to the first floor, because when the hotel opens, it's going to be very fancy and expensive. The hotel needs to be finished. Yes, we are in the ninth year. It's a lot of ghosts going on around here. The spirits or the energy that is here, they don't want it finished. They trying to find a way out, but they can't find it. Are you looking for someone? The Chelsea is kind of like a grand old tree that's been chopped down. The roots are deep, and there's life still coming from it. We're not people. We are ghosts. Well, this is one that we are both very much looking forward to because the Chelsea Hotel is just so historically significant, particularly in the kind of pop culture that 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 we follow, right? Yeah. Leonard Cohen and Patti Smith oh, and and, the, and uh, the Andy Warhol and Salvador Dali. Oh, yeah, the, so the, many. Go on and on and on. It was opened in the late 1800s. It was made a, a New York historic landmark in the 60s and the 70s. It was put on the Register of Historic Places nationally. Uh, yeah, as someone is quoted in this film, like all the immortals of the 20th century have passed through the Chelsea Hotel. But it's it's a fascinating approach. Uh, by the way, the executive producer of the film is Martin Scorsese, and the co-writers, co-directors, Maya Duverdeer and Amelie Van Elmt. I know I butchered those names. I apologize for that. But I love the approach because if you are if you come to this not knowing anything about the Chelsea and you're, wait, you're looking for a biography, you're not going to get it. But even if you know a little, it, it becomes fascinating because the approach they take to the past is through the present and the people that still live in this hotel as they have continued, the, the company that owns it now has continued this almost 10-year renovation in an attempt to make it an ultra-swanky, ultra-exclusive and expensive hotel. They've been trying to force out and make life harder on the people that still live there. And they, their stories are fascinating. And especially as the synopsis alluded to, though, there, the way that the directors are able to weave in the past and the present. They put some of these, these ghosts of the former tenants uh, on actually on the walls right. in the film, which is very cool. And then also they bring in a lot of this old footage and, and weave it through. You see this one tenant, current tenant, a uh, Merle Lister is her name. She's a, an old choreographer. And you, you see her doing a dance she choreographed as a younger woman in the hotel. And then they updated with her currently in the hotel. And that's always bittersweet when you can do that. And they, they talk about the ghosts that are still in this building, the ghosts of the past and this bohemian existence that they all lived uh, back in the day and the gestalt of the building. Another one of the, the uh, tenants talks about that. So I thought it was a fascinating way to approach this story. And, and I really appreciate it, any, appreciated that. Any way you can tell a story in a different way, uh, because from the outset you think, okay, I'm going to get, okay, it opened here and then this happened. And, you know, it barely touches on the fact that Nancy Spungen was, mur- was stabbed there. Right. Um, it, it barely touches on that, but it just gives you a sense of the place that it holds in these people's lives as they're caught between old New York and current New York and art and commerce. And it's, it's, I thought it was just fascinating and well worth your time if you have uh, any interest at all. And it is on VOD called Dreaming Walls Inside the Chelsea Hotel. Let's go back to VOD and Hulu for a film that's been waiting around for a couple of years uh, with good reason, I guess. War photographer W. Eugene Smith travels back to Japan where he documents the devastating effect of mercury poisoning in coastal communities. This is called Minamata. There's a company in Japan that's been dumping their toxic waste into the sea. The people need help. We need global attention. We need you. I'm the greatest photographer that Life magazine has ever had. That you are. 
You're the single most impossible photographer that life has ever had. Bring the story home. The Native Americans, they believed that a photograph would literally take a piece of the subject's soul. But they can also take a piece of the photographer's soul. Focus on the photograph you want to take. Focus on what you want to say. Well, we say it's been waiting around a couple of years because the star is Johnny Depp, and we can only assume that they've been waiting for those legal entanglements to work themselves out. So without any comment about his personal life, we just talk about the film. He is very good in this, and it, it really made a connection with me right away because when I was a kid, my grandparents had this big coffee table book of the best photos from Life magazine, and I would just look at it over and over and over again, and one of them that really made an impression on me was the the title of the photograph was Tomoko in her bath. And it was a woman bathing her, her daughter looked like at least a young adult daughter, severely deformed from mercury poisoning in Japan. Basically this film is the story behind that photo. Uh, and W Eugene Smith, one of the, the early leaders in the photo essay movement. And he took a lot of movie, a lot of uh, pictures from world war two. It's kind of where he made his name. This was really his last photo essay. Went to Japan in the early 1970s and uh, and helped to document the effects of this mercury poisoning by a corporation you know, in the water in the, this community, this city of Minamata, Japan. And it came to be known as Minamata disease. And so it's sort of a biopic, a little bit about him and his battles with his editor at Life, who's played by Bill Nye. Always love, always love Bill Nye. Uh, and then... It sort of gets caught. We talked about the clash of styles with the Thor. This sort of gets caught as well between the the uh, crusader type of movie, the political thriller type of movie. It reminded me because of the subject matter. Remember the the, the film Dark Water uh, with um, uh, Mark Ruffalo, mm-hmm. with Todd Haynes here mm-hmm. recently. It handles it much better in tone. And this one falls victim to cliche a little bit as well. So it's not terrible. It's not great. I have to say Johnny Depp is pretty effective in this role of uh, W. Eugene Smith, who's definitely an interesting person worth uh, knowing about. So uh, it's a very competent depiction of uh, a very important story. And it's co-written and directed by Andrew Levitus, and it is on Hulu and VOD now called Minamata. And we'll go to Shudder next for the story of Cecilia and her son Martin, who have a car accident. On the third day after the crash, she wanders by herself on a lonely route, and there's no clue of her son. She can't remember what happened, is desperately looking for her son. On her quest, she finds coincidences with her case and other police files. The circle goes round, and Cecilia were un- the circle goes round, and Cecilia will end up facing a religious man who is responsible for this slaughter. For her, he's a lunatic. For him, Cecilia is the enemy. This is called On the Third Day. I want you to relax and listen only to my voice. Concentrate on every part of your body slowly. More and lighter. I'm going to count to three. And you'll go back to the past. To the third day. Argentinian film, 
and I was looking forward to it because it seems right up my alley. I like a lot of what is being presented in films like this. The problem is, and I'm hoping that Shudder offers a non-dubbed version. I hope, I'm hoping that it offers a yes. subtitled version, but the as one that so- they had for screening was dubbed. As soon as we saw that, we're like, are you serious? I, I know there's people there that just hate subtitles. I hate dubs. Oh, I hate dubs. Especially, but you know, one of the things about it is that it immediately made me think of Lucio Fulci films because they're <laughs> yeah. all dubbed. You can never get a, a subtitled version of Lucio Fulci and they usually have a kid in them and the kid is always voiced by a woman who is pretending to be a child and it sounds terrible. Well, that's the case here. Martin is clearly a grown woman who is pretending to be a child and he sounds terrible and adult. The whole thing, for me, dubbed horror tends to give it a more surreal feel. And so at least it has that going for it. But but the thing is, though, everything feels so borrowed. And and, and there are ways in which the Fulci feeling kind of suits it because it is a little bit surreal and a little bit slapped together in the way that Lucio Fulci films were. But it just, it doesn't hang together especially well. There are some moments of kind of gore and terror that I think are effective. But on the whole, it's, I don't know, it's a little muddy and and pretty borrowed. And that is called On the Third Day. You can find it on Shudder right now. And one more on VOD, a horror thriller. Two high-profile couples are forced to examine the cost of success when they're invited to an exclusive self-help retreat where their ancestors sold their souls generations prior. It's called The Summon. We have a lot of work to do. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. We are baptized in shame, and in shame we live. Give him what he wants. I do not like little lambs listening to my secrets. Tori Haynes reviewed this one for us on MadWolf.com, and... She thought it was very competently made, mm-hmm. but it's a little bit too familiar. Yeah. Yeah, I think she was impressed by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's her review, which you can find at medwolf.com, she gave it three and a half out of five yes. stars. That's pretty good. But yeah, she was looking for it to really take that extra jump into something remarkable, something um, unique, and it didn't. Right. So you've got these couples who wind up in this retreat, and they find out that it's a satanic retreat once they're there. And uh some of the performances are really good. They're they're a bit funny. That leans into camp at good places. It's just she just kept hoping for something a little bit more inspired, just to break out and be unexpected. But but still, if you're looking for it, it's got some good shocks. It's got some some good scares. Very solid performances. So it's certainly not a waste of time. It's just not. I think it it feels like it should be better than it is. Yeah, it sounded like she thought it was it was good enough to make her think it could be memorable, and right. it really wasn't. Right. The summoned currently on VOD. All right. Before we go to the lobby, we have to make mention of the legendary actor James Caan. I'm sure you know by now he passed away this week at the age of 82. And since then, there's been some great stories come out. And I just have to read one real quickly. I saw this on uh, on Facebook today. Uh, actually, Brandon Thomas, who writes for us mm-hmm. at MadWolf.com, he shared this Twitter thread by somebody who says, this is hilarious, He's, this guy says, I, James Kahn used to rent from the video store where I worked in Westwood, and I had many, many encounters. And this is one of his favorites. This guy is saying, Elliot Gould came into the store one day in a stocking cap and asked if Kahn had an account. I said yes, and he asked if he could use it. 
I said I had to call Khan to get approval. I called the number on his account and immediately got James Khan on the phone. Elliot Gould is here and wants to rent on your account, I said. Elliot is where, he said, and then said, F it, whatever he wants, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I mean, the guy has other stories, too, about James Conn in this in this uh, rental, this video rental store. They're, they're hilarious. You can find him on uh, Twitter. He's at BabyBoyMonahan. But, oh, man, just very, very funny. And, of course, a great resume. Everybody thinks of, well, we, we were talking at lunch today, what the first film you think of for James Conn. I immediately think of The Godfather. Which I think is his best performance and his best film, but the first thing I think of is Misery. Yeah, yeah um, that's a great one too. He, You know, he's got so, so, so many. And it's funny though, speaking of Misery, is that I, I've, we have followed Kathy Bates on Twitter for a long time and she would at him a lot. And sometimes yeah. his responses were so funny. Well, we followed him too. And they had such a lovely yeah, back and forth on see. Twitter. Yeah. And when his family announced his passing, he always ended every tweet with all caps, end of tweet. Every yeah. single time. I yeah. don't know why. And then when his family announced his passing, that's how they end ended tweet. it too, which made Very me a nice. little choked up. Yeah. Yeah. Great resume. Not only The Godfather, but if you go back to the 70s, a roller, the original Rollerball, and then a, a B movie action movie pleasure uh, called The Killer Elite back in the day. He was a big action star before he moved into some other role. Alienation, oh, sci fi. A lot of people like that one. You know, just a few years ago, he did a nice thriller, oh. indie thriller called The Good, the Neighbor, Good Neighbor that we both yeah. liked a lot. We did. That came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I remember watching that thing. James Conn is in this. And of course, Elf. What yeah, a great well, movie. And, well, love Elf. So, yeah, so R.I.P. to James Conn and God, that story about the video store. <laughs> just hilarious. Either either he just gave zero Fs or he, <laughs> or he was messing with people or what. Either way, it's fantastic. Uh, let's go to the lobby. Let's all 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 go to the lobby. Checking back into the lobby with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, for the latest studio news. What's shaking this week? I got a decent amount for you. Universal's religious comedy, Honk for Jesus and Save Your Soul, will get a day-and-date release. Um, it arrives both in theaters and on Peacock on September 2nd. And then on September 13th and 15th, Lionsgate will be doing a special theatrical engagement with Fathom, Fathom Events for Kevin Smith's latest film, Clerks 3. And a VOD release will follow later in the fall, um, with Smith also doing a roadshow tour of the film. So if you're a fan, you might want to check out and see if he's coming near your area. Cool. And then Universal has set an October 28th theatrical release for Armageddon Time, which is the latest from um, Lost City of Z and Ad Astra director James Gray. Uh, that'll open limited release on October 28th and then go nationwide on November 11th. Netflix has made a sequel to their French action hit Lost Bullet, titled Lost Bullet 2, Back for More, and that'll premiere on their service on November 10th. Paramount Plus has laid out a November 18th streaming premiere for their Blue's Clues movie, Blue's Big City Adventure. (laughs) We just got a letter. Um, Sony must be really happy with their Jonathan Majors and Glenn Powell starring Korean war fighter drama, um, Devotion. It was set for mid-October release, staggered theatrical run, but now it's going to open nationwide on November 23rd. And the reason I say they have a lot of confidence in it is because that will place it in direct competition with Pixar's Strange World, Luca Guadagnino's Bones and All, and Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> that, that is, yeah, that's some confidence. <laughs> 
then I've got a couple project announcements for you without dates. Uh, the horror one's up first. Yeah. A.A. Milne's uh, original Winnie the Pooh novel dropped into public domain back in January. So as a result, some enterprising individuals have shot a live-action horror movie in which Pooh and Piglet had become carnivorous murderers after years of being neglected and unfed. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> it's called Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey, and it'll be out later this oh, year sometime. Very nice. Very nice. Blood and Honey. Oh, yes. <laughs> and if anyone's a fan of the 2020 exploitation film Becky, it oh, yes. has a sequel. They've yeah. already shot it. Um, Lulu Wilson's back in the titular role. This time, the villains are uh, led by Sean William Scott, so they're keeping the comedian-turned-bad theme going. And it's called Becky to the Wrath of Becky. Should be out sometime next year. Yeah, that first one was, was fun. And then the last thing I have for you is Ardman Animation has made a sequel to their 2000 hit Chicken Run. It's called Chicken Run Dawn of the Nugget, and it'll hit Netflix sometime next year. <laughs> Dawn of the Nugget. This is a good week for titles. I like that yeah. title. Oh, all right. All right, lots of good stuff. And you can always catch the latest uh, with Daniel. Find him on socials at The Schlocketeer. Have a great week. Hey, thanks for having me. You too. All right, looking ahead to next week, a little more crowded. We've got uh, <laughs> Paws of Fury, The Legend of Hank is out. Also, Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Just saw that last night. Did. So we'll talk about that. Where the Crawdads Sing is coming out next week. Gone in the Night. Earwig. Ooh. Dear King. Uh, Gabby Gifford, Won't Back Down, documentary. Clara Soul. Good Madam. Diary of a Spy. Landon, colon, Just Watch Me. It's great. It's a great documentary. Oh, that's the baseball movie. Oh, okay, yeah. And then Glass House. All right, that's all next week. We'll talk about that then. Let's talk about this, this week, the ones we just uh, mentioned, and anything else that you saw that you think is good. Let's keep that conversation going. Easy to do it. Find us on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie only podcast called Fright Club. Just getting ready to record a brand new one of those tonight. That's right. That's all there for you at madwolf.com. So enjoy the movies. Let's talk about them. And until next week, be well. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. Elliot Gould is where? <laughs> I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>